Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Hey team, before we get into today's podcast, I just want to let you know this was recorded before the SAG after strike officially started. So if we hit on any topics that refer to the strike being in process, or if we talk about things that don't seem relevant at a time like this, just so you know, this was recorded in advance. Thank you guys so much for listening and please enjoy today's podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and today we have an action-packed Take Notes episode. I am so excited to have Jessica Steinrock on the podcast. You've probably seen her on TikTok because she has a gajillion followers, or perhaps you saw her recently in Cosmo Magazine. She is a rock star, and she is also such an easy person to talk to that I am so glad people like her are out in the world as intimacy coordinators. Did I not mention that yet? She's an intimacy coordinator. So while Jessica is not one to talk about her work because she likes to keep actors and projects very safe, we do have a few credits we can mention just to give you like the groundwork of where she is at. So she has worked on shows like Never Have I Ever, Yellow Jackets, Little Fires Everywhere, Moxie, very big deals. So Jessica has been on every type of set and she has encountered every type of situation. And today we are going to get into how intimacy coordinators become intimacy coordinators. Actually, we also talk about whether or not this is a good side job for actors. We also get into the details of what you can ask for in reference to an intimacy coordinator before you are even on a set. This means how you can stand up for yourself in acting classes, on non-union projects, in improv, in student films, even without a person there to advocate you, the standards you should accept and how to advocate for yourself. We also work our way up the ladder to how you can advocate on a non-union film, what you should ask for, how you can advocate when you are a guest star or co-star and or when you're a regular on set and doing intimate scenes often. We go over all of the types of barriers and props you use. I ask, hey, what happens when you're on your period? What happens if someone gets an erection? We are getting into the details because I want you guys to feel more comfortable and I want to feel more comfortable when we are in these scenarios and or clothing on, off, touching on, off, whatever it is on a set. I want you guys to never feel like you have to be the easiest person to work with, quote unquote. I want you to know what your personal boundaries are and how to set them up from the beginning to the end of your career. I learned a lot today. I know you guys are going to learn a lot too. Make sure you guys are following at Intimacy Coordinator. Yes, that is Jessica's handle because she is OG of this on TikTok. And make sure you're subscribed to this podcast because we are having more of these types of episodes as we go. So without further ado, please enjoy Jessica Steinrock. I don't know if you use the Libby app, it's the library oh, app. Are you a fan? Absolutely. Huge okay. fan. I'm a voracious audiobook listener. Okay. So before I started working in podcasts, I also had more time to listen to audiobooks. So for now, I'm not as much as I used to, but I love Libby. I love like getting my books onto my Kindle and I get my magazines there too. Cause like guys, hot tip, they're free. And so I was reading Cosmo magazine and I was like, do, do, do. And I flipped to a page. I was like, wait a second. This is Jessica. This is who I'm podcasting with this week. I'm so excited. So I screenshot it. I'm going to put it on my Instagram story. I'm so excited. How did you get into Cosmo Magazine? <laughs> Give us a PR lesson. Wait, must reached out. Honestly, it's been so amazing that TikTok has increased the awareness of this role and awareness of my work. And so a lot of times news outlets will reach out to me and ask to feature the story to talk about it. I mean, it's fun. It's spicy. It's new. Intimacy coordination is definitely a tidal wave that's rising. Yes. Yeah. And you use that term spicy a lot. Will you kind of talk about like where that came from and how you got to here? I used to be just a TikTok scroller behind the scenes, you know, watching. And it was just a term that I saw people on TikTok using to talk about sex and intimacy and things like that, keeping it spicy, etc. And there's also all sorts of rumors about what words are allowed and what words aren't allowed. And what I've kind of found is that spicy as a term is a little bit more fun and light than things like intimate scene or a sex scene or things like that. And at the end of the day, spicy scene also once sounds 
better and more fun to say. But two, I do think it helps with like algorithm and viewership and access because it's not going to be flagged as much because it doesn't necessarily need to be about sex for it to be spicy. Yeah, that is something. I mean, we got, listen, I have a list of questions for you from actors from my (laughs) Patreon. So buckle up because we're going to get into it. But you in the work you how did you decide or end up in intimacy coordination and then also moving to training other intimacy coordinators because deciding to do something is one thing deciding to teach it is a whole nother ballgame yeah I mean I got so lucky in so many ways with my community my colleagues I come from actually a background of improv comedy oh where'd you do improv Chicago so I was on like four of my college improv teams I was the classic can I get a suggestion lady yes Um, and yes Strong alarming all of my friends to come to my Monday night improv shows. I was the worst. It was terrible. It told me recently that have you listened to my podcast is the new will you come to my improv show? So I'm like, Absolutely. okay. okay. No, no, I was the classic like, gosh, I got to come. It's 8 p.m. Student Union. 10 out of 10. Absolutely. But my so my love has always really been in theater and performing and spontaneous spontaneous theater, unscripted theater, comedy. And I happened to meet the love of my life, my husband, who is a fight director for theater. So he does fake fighting, fake punches, all of that kind of stuff. I followed him to a conference where, or a conference workshop, whatever. But I followed him to a stage combat workshop. And I met this incredible person named Tony Asina, who was really starting this work that was called intimacy direction in a more formalized way than it had really ever been done previously. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was getting my master's degree and I was really focused on consent in improv because it's not scripted. How do you create spontaneous dynamic comedy while also having personal boundaries and being able to say, please don't touch my shoulder or I don't want to kiss you, things like that. I got very lucky that my interests aligned with hers and her colleague Alicia Rodis were beginning this grassroots movement of intimacy. They let me hop along. And so I, again, happened to be on the ground floor and got in really early with this work. And so then when it comes to why sort of training program, the way I made it into this field is so inaccessible for so many people. I mean, The amount of things that had to align, my interests, my skill sets, my partner, my partner's friends, all of those things are really, really by chance. And then again, it's opportunity to meet skill sets, which I'm so grateful to have those things. But being able to create an institution that can have more access, provide more access to this knowledge, to this work, can train more folks to really make this a safer industry and can work on accessibility to this discipline as much as we can will mean we'll have a safer and more diverse intimacy coordinator community overall. And that is something that when this conversation really started out loud for us actors, we were, I don't think there was a single person who was like, nah, especially as women, I was like, I can't, when do I, where do I sign up? How do I get one of these? And we have actors from all different timelines in their career listening. So some have been on major sets. Some have just started and maybe doing like non-union work. And a lot of our actors are doing improv work, which is funny because I was in an improv show last night and one pick guy picked up one of the other improv improvisers. And I was like, I wonder how comfortable they are with each other to be carried off like yeah. that. So where do we start with talking about intimacy coordination typically? Like, is this something that we can start talking about on our non-union sets? How do we start establishing these boundaries? And then when do we get to have you? Yeah, I've, we're seeing intimacy coordinators on indie projects, student films, in theaters, in university settings, in community theaters. So it really is a phenomenon that's not just for large budget projects or union shows. This is something that is happening everywhere, all over the place. And then when it comes to having an intimacy coordinator on a production, you know, the question for me is, what's the degree of intimacy we want in this production? In the same way that, you know, if there's a giant bar brawl in a movie and you want it to look realistic, you're going to hire a stunt coordinator. But you could also tell that same bar brawl in slow motion. You could tell it with the door closed and just audio. And those ways of telling that story might not require a stunt coordinator. Similarly with intimacy, like let's say you're doing a project that involves a giant party scene, depending on what you want everybody to do, depending on how much you want to see, will really depend on whether or not you need a specialist to come in. But at the end of the day, what I firmly believe is that every person on set, regardless of if there's an intimacy coordinator or not, 
is responsible for helping to build a broader culture of consent so that the intimacy coordinator isn't the one that holds the keys to whether or not someone gets their boundaries honored or not. That really they're there to help with movement, be a specialized coach for these particular types of scenes, and everyone else is sharing the load of creating that consent-based workspace. Uh, let's start small and build up to our sets where we actually get to have you, where we get to have our trailer and our special props and all of these things. So in, in the beginner level, so in terms of acting class, student films, improv class, what are yeah. some suggestions for boundaries or places you would start with? Well, if we can't have an intimacy coordinator here, what would an intimacy coordinator do in these type of situations? Yeah. I mean, one of the easiest things that anyone can do at any point is just name their own boundaries. And when I say that, it just means starting a conversation by saying, hey, I'm so excited to work with you. Please don't touch my shoulder today, but you're welcome to touch anywhere else on my body. If you or if you're like, hey, please don't touch my chest or my groin area while we're doing this improv, but I'm OK to slide anywhere else. Or if you don't like tickling sensations, say that. And you don't need to name every single boundary on your body. But right, if you are doing a hug scene and you have a boundary around neck grabbing or hair petting, those might be really great things to name. And what I also recommend just in general is that being the first to name a boundary can be icebreaking for so many folks in a room. So if you feel empowered to even name a small boundary. You might be opening a door for someone else to name a boundary that they otherwise might not have felt safe naming. Oh, I love that. Is that something that we could encourage teachers to open up? Because I've never had, not to my knowledge, have I had an acting class? Well, okay, a couple actually, to be honest. But like in improv right now, there's never been someone who stood up and say, hey, how are we all doing today? Are we okay with being touched in scenes? Like, is that something a teacher can initiate as well? Like, what are we, because we have them who listen to the podcast too. So I kind of want to help like educate people and bring that icebreaking forth. Yeah, absolutely. Part of one the work that we do at my organization is training facilitators who are not necessarily intimacy professionals themselves, but just acting educators, stage management educators, working with people in high school or improv teams and training educators to begin these boundary conversations to help set up frameworks in class. Even things as simple as what we call exit strategies, where if someone does need to opt out of a workshop or a game or they're being triggered or in a heightened state of emotions, how do they leave the space? Because historically, we might see people disassociating. We might see people pulling back emotionally, but staying in the room physically. And that can create some lasting impact. And with a few simple frameworks, you know, and I call, say them simple when really they're simple by name, but revolutionary compared with how we've handled situations like this in the past. But just with a few simple ways of bits of scaffolding, there can be a lot of support that empowers people actually to put more of themselves into the work safely. Can you give us one of those today just for someone's example? Yeah, I mean, so as far as like an exit strategy... If we're going to do a work or an exercise that involves a lot of eye contact, what I'll do when I'm setting up that exercise, I'll say, and if you need a, a moment, simply bring your gaze back down to the ground. And when you're ready, you can look back up again. People might assume that like, oh, yeah, you could totally do that. Many people don't assume and they feel like if they choose to do that, then the instructor is going to look at them like they've done something wrong. People are going to think they're weird or that they're not good enough. But by putting that just, again, simply naming, hey, if you need a moment, here's how you can take that moment. It can do so much to empower people to actually do what's best for them. Uh, this makes me think about the general consensus that I'm sure you've seen with actors and as an improv actor, too, that people who have boundaries sometimes or need a minute there is an instantaneous feeling of like, well, I must not be in the work or I must not be attached enough. And we have these, I don't know if you've seen Barry, but there's a lot of like stuff in Barry that the, with the acting class scenes that are super problematic. And do you see that in your work too, that there's a commitment to like, got to get through it because it's the job to be this emotional and this feeling? Absolutely. And people have been told that too. It's not just something that we're all assuming together. It is a pervasive narrative that we are often told that you have to keep pushing. I mean, you even hear in like a lot of fitness things, no pain, no gain, yes. but you have to right, push yourself to the limit in order to be this. 
And especially in an industry as competitive as acting, as competitive as the creative arts, there's a huge power dynamic that when someone says, hey, you need to push yourself harder to say, no, I'm, that's too much for me. That's going to cause me pain. The fear is that that person's going to receive that as they're not willing to work hard enough. They're too weak. They're not good enough. They're hard to work with. Basically, people will push themselves further than what they uh, really should be, which, again, if we'll take a physical metaphor here, if you are running past your point, your pain point over and over and over again, eventually you're going to injure something. You're going to pull a muscle. You're going to sprain an ankle. And that's going to take you weeks back in the training that you were trying to do. Oh, Ooh, I God, I wish I was here like 15 years ago. This would have been a game changer. So moving on from like the base level. So if we could start having those conversations, let's go into non-union work. So the first projects you're really booking as an actor are oftentimes self-submits. A lot of actors don't have reps yet. They are just trying to get on set and get work. Are there things we can of being on set in non-union capacities that more people should know about? Yeah. I mean, one, you can always ask for an intimacy coordinator. No matter the level of the project, there is space for an intimacy professional. In, and if there's not, what I'll say is, again, I'll like insist on work. That if you're on a, a smaller budget project and you're being asked to do a high fall without a professional that's a red flag. That's probably not something you should do is do a high fall without a trained stunt coordinator there to protect your safety. Now, again, there are ways to stylize that. There are still ways to tell that story. You're just not going to jump off a 20-foot building without a harness. Similarly, if you're being asked to be fully nude, stimulate sex, be part of a large orgy, and you're not receiving any kind of specialized support, that's a big red flag. It's not to say we can't tell those stories, but we have to tell those stories in ways that are more stylized, in ways that have more coverage, in ways that involve less simulation, etc. But if you're being asked to do those things, that might be saying, hey, this rises to the level. And we can't still look at union contracts and to say like, or, or rather, it's not union contracts, but SAG-AFTRA recommended guideline mm-hmm. to say this is the threshold that SAG-AFTRA recommend. We are meeting that threshold. I know we are not SAG, you know, maybe it's not a SAG project, but we should still be operating within these safety parameters. And then there are intimacy coordinators in training. There are folks who are looking for these smaller projects. Really, there are al- there's always going to be a way to get additional support and make sure that, that the support you have matches the level at which you are trying to achieve. Brand new stunt coordinator for the 20-foot high football, but brand new stunt coordinator might be great for helping to stylize that high fall in a in a way that keeps everybody on the ground. Two questions come up for me with that. The first one would be, where would someone go who's working production, making their own films, making their own projects to find perhaps an intimacy coordinator in training that they could maybe grab for not as high of a fee or to start work with on projects like this? Yeah, it's a great question. So my company is called Intimacy Directors and Coordinators. Our website is idcprofessionals.com. We have a little tab that says hire, and you can look at a huge list of intimacy professionals. You can filter it. It's very fancy schmancy. But at the end of the day, we have some folks who are in our mentorship program who are, we call them certification pending because they've done all of the training and they are under or they are with support from a mentor going out into the industry and working. Those folks have a little asterisk next to their name, but those are great folks to reach out to for these early kinds of projects. Amazing. We had some actors ask about that as a job professionally. So I'd love to touch on that a little bit later as well. But my second question that came up with what you just said is it's really easy to feel like before in the mix of being on a set that I have boundaries. I know what I will and won't do. It's all good. But when you get on a set and everyone's waiting for you to do a thing and get it done, we just have to make the day, hey, can you do us a favor real quick? This is all language I've been told in the past. Can you just, would you just mind like, if you could just slip your shirt off, this this will be a really easy like cut. We'll just make it really simple. And the pressure gets higher when you're the person who's contingent on things going. So is there a way to ask these questions earlier on in the process so you're not on the day when these kind of things come up? Yeah. 
I mean, anytime that I'm working as an intimacy coordinator, I'm having a meeting with the director and I'm also having a meeting with the actor to make sure that and usually, hopefully at least a week before filming, if not longer before filming, to make sure that everybody's on the same page about what's going to be asked in the scene, what the requirements are, etc. So in a project without an intimacy coordinator, I would still ask for that meeting with the director to talk about the scene, verbally talk through what the scene's going to entail. If you have any kind of nudity or simulated sex contract, making sure that the language in that contract actually details what's going to be seen. So a lot of times I'll see language that just says they're okay with nudity. And it's like, well, what kind of nudity? Is it full body nudity? Is it just front nudity? Is it a tasteful side boob of nudity? Mm-hmm. What, what kind is that? And making sure that language is really specific in any kind of contract. And if it's not, requesting that language is really specific so that in the moment you have something to point to. I will tell a personal story that I was on a set once and the director came to me and it was a very low budget movie. And he said, hey, we're in a bit of a pickle. We can't get this shot, but your character needs to change into pajamas for this scene to work. We don't have a cutaway shot. Can we just have you change real quick on camera? And I was put in such a hard position and I had no thought of check my contract. I was so far from home. I had no, I didn't have access to call my agent really quick on my phone because I'm already wearing very little clothing. I'm already on the set. I'm in the midst of everything. And it was such a hard circumstance that the idea that I could have, unfortunately, like leaning on verbiage sometimes is so freeing to say something like, unfortunately, my contract states that we haven't covered any nudity. So I cannot do that shot. Would have been so much easier than making it personal. Even though it is personal, sometimes the legality of it can just be a little freeing. And I wish that is something I would have thought of. Well, and one, I'm so sorry that you got put in that situation. And two, I see things like that happen all the time. And the other frustrating thing about how that question is posed is that there is only one answer. There's only one good answer. Yes. You know, that person said, hey, we can't do it this way. The only thing that we can do is this. So if you say no, you're not just saying no to this boundary. You're saying no to the production, no to them as a whole, no to the story that you probably are really excited to tell as an actor. And that is just, I mean, the pressure of that is enormous. As an intimacy coordinator, one of the things that I do, and perhaps hopefully other facilitators might be able to, to benefit from as well, but when asking someone if they are willing or not willing to do something, I always like to give options to say like, hey, we could tell the story this way, this way, or this way. Which one feels best to you? Mm-hmm. you know, in that situation, if I said, hey, your character needs to X, Y, or Z, we can do this. If not, we'll just make the character choice that your character goes to bed in their street clothes or whatever. Yes. And- even saying like, okay, if, if this is a no, here's what's going to happen. And maybe you as an actor are like, ooh, I would rather take off my clothes than tell that story. Sure, whatever, right? But we have some options there where at least you know, okay, when I say no, it's not just this amorphous mystery. I actually have something to reground into. I wish you would have been there for this. This would have changed something. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> also too, this was very early aughts, like early 2010s time period. And there wasn't as much conversation about this. And it felt like it was my job to fix everything. And everyone was looking at me and to think that there could have been a conversation. I'm so excited to be able to present this to actors, especially who are new to this business. And especially, unfortunately, it seems like females are often put in this way more often, maybe in my personal experience, because there's an assumption that's kind of sometimes how we serve a story. And I think we're starting to get away from that, but it's taken a minute. Wow. Well, and again, it's my hope really that directors, producers, actors are all informing themselves on some of these new practices, these guidelines, these tools to be more consent forward. Because, you know, again, in that situation that you described, because it was about nudity, yes, there should have been an intimacy coordinator there. But at the end of the day, that's a a question that a director could have facilitated in a significantly more consent-based way. And I'm really hoping that we see 
more folks in the entertainment industry take on that responsibility to be consent-based advocates in addition to the role of the intimacy coordinator, but so that the IC doesn't have to hold the weight of everything in the industry that's consent-based. Do you feel pressure sometimes to be this middle man in this? Or are you at a point in your career where you're like, I got this? Oh, no, all the time. Oh, my gosh. I am so far from I got this. I mean, I look like I got this. Me you wrong. do. You look quite confident. I shouldn't say I don't got this. But I mean, I it's so intimidating. Hollywood especially is, is a huge place of tons of money, tons of power, tons of ego, tons of positions of pressure. And as an intimacy coordinator, oftentimes you're put in a position where you have to say no to someone on someone else's behalf and then make sure that you're actually advocating for someone in the way that they want to be advocated for. But you're also uh, cognizant of the pieces of production that need to be in place. We're also such a new role that every time I walk onto set, I am an ambassador for the entire profession of intimacy work. Girl, that's heavy. Yeah, because, you know, you work with an actor and you're like, oh, that actor wasn't great to work with. But you're not like actors are bad people. <laughs> yes, yes. You work with a bad sun coordinator. You're like, nah, that guy was gruff or that, that girl was a little too much for me. But you're not like stunt coordinators shouldn't exist. When someone works with an intimacy coordinator and they maybe have an experience where it was more awkward than an experience they had without an intimacy coordinator, oftentimes that jump is so quickly to, therefore, all intimacy coordinators make these scenes worse. And that is so much pressure. Uh, and I mean, we're not going to go into the details, but you've worked with some really big name people. So... <laughs> How do you, before we get into like the onslaught of like starting to work with bigger sets and things like that, how, how do you deal with that? Are you, have you come to a place where you understand your role? Like, how do you handle the pressure of the Hollywood machine? I have such a strong community of friends and colleagues and peers who are on basically my speed dial. And anytime I'm worried or I have a question I, I have a huge number of folks that I can text, I can lean on, I can talk with after who will also be a, essentially a peer mentorship group with each other. Hmm. We regularly say that probably wasn't the greatest way to handle it. Let's talk about ways you could do that better next time. And similarly, I say, hey, I've got this situation that I know you had something like this before. What did you do? And that knowledge hmm. and community is so free flowing that it's just one of the most beautiful things about this work because I know that it I'm never on an island by myself. Mm-hmm. I am surrounded and uplifted by people who are doing this work with me. And I hope to return that favor to them. Which makes me so glad that this is such a growing profession because we need you all to be as strong as your community is. So that is thrilling to hear from my ears. So let's move on up our ladder here. So now we are going to go to a port where Let's talk about like guest star type of situations. So mm-hmm. it's not your set. It's not like me going to another person's set. I always akin to going out to someone else's house for dinner where everyone there has been to dinner before and they know where the bathrooms are. They know where the plates are. They know where the towels are. And I am new and I don't know which door is the bathroom and I it's not my home, but I want them to like me and I want to do a good job. I want to enjoy their dinner. So when you are a guest star, co-star, you come in and you're a lot of times, you know, I've seen a couple of my friends have been the hot girl at the bar, the guy picks up or the girl picks up and they're in like one scene real quick, but it is, they're literally only on set for an intimacy. (laughs) And that is such a wild amount of pressure. And this is where oftentimes there's a bigger budget, there is intimacy coordinators. So going about that and working with intimacy coordinator for the first time, when maybe they're also coordinating the stars, the leads, all of that, how do we go into set and show up best and ready for this type of interaction? Yeah. I mean, honestly, what I would say is that the bulk of the work actually happens before even showing up on set. That especially if there's an intimacy coordinator, one of the best things that an actor can do is ask for all of the specifics, especially to the intimacy coordinator. They are there to create a space for you to be able to talk freely, openly, say, what's, what are you excited about? What are you nervous about? You can talk about the pressures that you're feeling about being a new person on this set. You can talk about what support you want, what support you don't want. Even if you're like, hey, look, I want to seem really cool, so please don't hover next to me like I need extra attention, right? 
10 out of 10. That's amazing knowledge. Or maybe you're the opposite, right? You're like, hey, I, I want you to check in on me a lot. I'm feeling really nervous. I have some specific boundaries, but I don't want to tell anyone my boundaries because I don't want to be the squeaky wheel. So here's the things you need to look out for. And if you can help me by helping me avoid some of these conversations, great. And, you know, like any of that information is so helpful to me because then I can better support you. I can better support the co-star and I can make sure that scene runs more smoothly so that on the day, I'm not surprised when you're like, hey, can you leave me alone? Or if there's a misalignment in expectations about what the intimacy coordinator is supposed to do. I will also just offer that intimacy coordinators are also often day players. We similarly show up just for the intimate teams. So a lot of time working on a, a, an intimate scene is the first time I'm on set. So I'm figuring out where the bathrooms are, <laughs> who the PAs are. So I, I can deeply empathize with that feeling of showing up, wanting someone to like you and being immediately thrown into one of the more high stakes kinds of scenes, which is, you know, something I've empathized with for the number of actors. And it can just be really challenging. Absolutely. Is there often rehearsals in this type of work? It depends. It depends on the specifics of the scene. If there's nothing particularly nuanced about the scene, the rehearsal is pretty similar to any other blocking rehearsal for any mm -hmm. other scene that we might have. The director will go in, talk through the scene. Depending on what the director and actors have requested, the intimacy coordinator might offer some choreographic support. Sometimes they're just there to watch what gets discussed and to make sure that consent is happening. But they might be very quiet depending on, again, the requests of the entire creative team. Sometimes we'll go through the motions. Sometimes, depending on what we need to, we won't. I will usually check in with actors after that rehearsal to make sure that they really got what they needed out of that rehearsal. And if there was something that they needed that they didn't get, then we'll add a little bit of extra time before filming. But that all just happens on the day, kind of in the same flow and rhythm that most other scenes happen. And is there anything in terms of talking to the, you know, let's say you have an intimate scene with the number one on the call sheet type of situation and you're number 102, right? So it feels as though that power dynamic already exists. And let's say you want to have that conversation about, I am not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with that. Is this something that you would then talk to an intimacy coordinator about and they would take that to our number one on the call sheet type of situation or did, is it case dependent? Yeah, again, it's all very and it depends situation. <laughs> but at the end of the day, myself as an intimacy coordinator will talk to both actors. And I really do try to treat both the same way where I say, what are your boundaries? What do you want out of the scene? If there's already nudity or simulated sex writer language, we'll go through that and say, OK, great. Does this all meet your expectations in what you know signed up to do? Are there any additional boundaries we need to know? And then if you're like, yeah, also, I don't want someone to touch my stomach. You're like, okay, great. Do you want me to share that information? Or how would you like me to support that boundary for you? And that's, you know, I try to really let the actor lead with what they want. And if the actor says, hey, act could you tell my scene partner not to do that? Then I'm like, great, happy to. We'll make sure that, that information gets where it needs to go. Or while we're rehearsing, I might say well, some additional boundaries for the scene. We're not going to touch any stomachs. We're not going to touch any backs of knees or blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't need to be so-and-so doesn't want this or so-and-so doesn't want that. It's just a blanket set for mm. the work that we're going to do today. Oh, it's such a release to have this kind of conversation because I think <laughs> these can kind of be very... It can be very good. It's a very weird situation like, hey, here's a new stranger. You're going to pretend to have sex with them. And also uh -huh. they're famous. Oh, okay. Like, but and you're going to wear this tiny strapless thong that's taped onto you. So don't go to the bathroom for the next two hours. Let's get into that area of this. So let's say we are on a set. I'm going to like move us up the ladder a little bit because I think these things are very similar at this point. So we're talking to the actors the same way. If it is a set, maybe it's a film. You know, you're on it a more regular basis. There is a usage of coverage and things like that. What are the common garments that we are going to see in intimacy scenes? Like, what's the most used things? Yeah, most used is strapless thongs, I would say, especially for people with vulvas. It's going to be looking like just a regular thong with some adhesive. Okay. We have had some increases in technology. So now we're seeing some stuff that has like more flaps on it, so a little bit more coverage. But at the end of the day, there's always some flesh-toned tape that can help kind of stick things on. Mm -hmm. And it, it just keeps everything tucked in. 
The next biggest one that we see is a modesty pouch for a person who has a penis. It looks like a little coin purse and it goes over the shaft and testicles and cinches to stay on. That's just for modesty, though. So when we're talking about there's a difference between a modesty garment, which would be an example of the strapless thong or the modesty pouch or a barrier. And a barrier is something that is some kind of like thick padding, at least like a yoga mat thickness, Mm -hmm. thick padding that's either going to be sewn into the garment or it could be something that is a uh, an external thing. I don't know. There's a funny scene in Hulu's reboot where Uh, they're they're talking about something called the Joga, which I find hilarious because a colleague of mine, her and the costume department like made up that term one day. And I just, it was wild to see it on screen because it was just such a funny term that I don't think we're ever meant to become like a professional term. Yes, I love it. But but yeah, so like a vajoga or some kind of external barrier okay. might be something that's not attached to anyone, but still goes in between the actors. And that would be for like, perhaps like a contact scene type of situation. Yeah. Okay. Anytime there is simulated sex where a, a genital is going to be simulated in contact with something else, mm-hmm. there needs to be some barrier in place. Basically, like in the SAG-AFTRA guidelines, it says that, you know, there needs to be at least something between folks for it to count as a not real sex act. We will link to them. But the SAG-AFTRA guidelines, how intense are those guidelines? How deep is that paperwork? Not that bad, actually. And SAG-AFTRA has some really great, like they've got like a little quick guide. Hmm. They've got a couple handbooks, Time's Up. The Times Up Foundation also has some really great, great resources. There's a whole thing about nudity writers for actors. There's a great resource about auditioning. There's a quick guide on set. Like there's SAG AFTRA and Times Up have a ton of super actor friendly resources. They're colorful, they're short, they are just really great, super easy to read through. Now you can get into the contract language, and that's much more dense. And I do recommend reading through all of that. So like, for example, the actual contract simply says that the sex acts can't be real. Now, but in the quick guidelines, sag after spend more time explaining, here's what that means. In order for the sex act not to be real, there has to be a physical barrier between two people's genitals. So that's why I recommend reading through both is because they'll give you both different information, but there are definitely some really great friendly resources out there. Amazing. Okay, we'll link to some of those in the show notes for you guys. I'm going to ask some questions that I would have if I was told I was about to do an intimate scene and I would want to know Um, these things. So let's make it less awkward for all of us. So when you say we are going to wear a strapless thong that's like adhesive, my brain is like, do I need to make sure I'm hairless? Do I need to take that seat? Like, does that hurt with pubic hair? Is that a thing? That is a great question. Okay, great. And really actor preference. Absolutely. But what a lot of people don't know is that most body tape, most adhesives actually, will become less sticky with baby oil. So if you put baby oil on top of the bandage, it literally like slides right off. I was testing this out on my husband's forearm. It's very uh, a very hairy forearm, if I do think for myself. Slapped a piece of tape across it. Baby oil slathered on the top comes right off. So it really is if you, uh, no matter how you choose to keep personal grooming, there are ways to make sure that you don't, you, you don't end up in pain at the end of the day. Okay, great. Utilizing the bathroom. Let's say you need to go to the bathroom. I drink a lot of water on set, oftentimes because I'm waiting for like six hours and then they're like, okay, let's party. How does that go? Typically, you won't put on the actual adhesive garment until right about when we're going to, going to shoot. People are only usually taped up for an hour, two hours most. Now, for longer days, what we'll do is make sure, particularly the the tactic I've seen work the best is a a strapless thong has that piece that goes twixt the cheeks in the rear and there's a little double stick tape on there. And that's something that's a little bit easier to come off. It's not going to rip anything. It's not going to hurt anything. And so you can remove that and basically hold up the front and do do what you need. Like almost a bodysuit situation, move it to the front instead of move it to the side. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, great. How does this work when you're on your period? Does anything change about that? I'm getting really, this is all my thoughts. This is where my brain goes. Yeah, I mean, again, this is all dependent on how that person manages their period. 
So typically, really, the answer is no. But I actors have asked me to pay attention for tampon strings. I mean, that doesn't get in the shot. People have asked me what internal solutions or external solutions I recommend. Mm -hmm. People have been worried about a thin pad in the strapless thong not being enough for flow. Mm -hmm. So like one of my favorite hacks is if you take a tampon, if you don't like, if you don't like wearing internal things, there's little like thong panty liners, but you can also take a tampon and just lay it inside that as well. So it kind of works like an interlabial pad, I think they're called, but it just kind of like fits and helps absorb without adding extra. And the labia will kind of will keep it secure. Oh, see, we're learning so many tricks today. This is great. Right? This is where my brain um, goes. And then my, I think my final thing that comes on in terms of like the actual gear is, do I put it on myself? Does someone else put it on me? How do you go about that? Most of the time, you will put it on yourself. So we'll set out either myself or costumes. We'll set out all of the stuff you need. And either, again, one of us will walk you through what that looks like. So the tape was generally pre-cut. Or if you don't want it to be pre-cut, then we'll give you some guidelines. So like little tips, like the tape doesn't peel up as much if you round the quarters. So like I'll mm. usually set out a few pieces, but we'll talk you through it. And then if you pop into the bathroom and make sure everything's good. And, you know, if you wanted someone to check it, happy to do so. But really, it's about letting the person do it themselves for the most part. This is such good information and something I would get to set and be like, what do cool people do? How do I figure out? How do I not look new to this? Like, this is fabulous. I would huge in all of this. Yeah. Is there a place that actors can get more information if they're like, I just kind of want to know. I just want to. Your TikTok is dense, which I love. I've learned a lot just watching your TikTok. And I'm not much of a TikTok gal, but your page, I'm like, I just want to know. Because the like things like a simulated oral sex scene, talking about mm-hmm. the way in which it's shot, showing actually being convincing or something not, like that was fascinating. Oh, cool. I'm so glad. Yeah. I mean, these are things that have kind of been kept under wraps or not really talked about. Or when I was younger and I was Googling this, all I could find are stories of like, so-and-so actually did it. They're like, do people actually have sex? I was like, in uh, pornography, I believe sometimes, most of the time, yes. Not on sets. No. Yeah. But as far as information, my company, Intimacy Directors and Coordinators, we offer classes for actors, directors, producers, as well as intimacy professionals. So there's tons. But probably the most accessible resource is we have just an intro to intimacy and entertainment class. It's like 29 bucks. It's fully asynchronous. Tons of videos, interviews with intimacy coordinators. There's so much good content packed into it. But that's definitely the one I recommend the most to people. Yes. Is there anything that is different for so like you say that someone with a penis when it comes to stuff, because I'm thinking all from my own experience, but it changes, obviously, because they have outdoor outside effects in the way that their body responds to touch sometimes and things like that. Let's call a spade a spade. Like, unfortunately, I have seen and heard stories of females doing intimate scenes and a man would get an erection. What do our guys need to know to feel more comfortable in this world? Absolutely. And so we use the term vascular reaction. Which oh, is, I know, like that one. Almost comedically clinical. So I like to use it. I actually feel like it breaks the ice a little bit more than saying erection. Yes. Which, you know, is hit or miss with sometimes the clinical terminology. Sometimes it feels too clinical. Yeah. But I always like vascular reaction because actually all bodies have vascular reactions. And so, again, I use a lot of gender neutral terms because there are plenty of people who are men and don't have penises and plenty of women who have penises. The anatomy and what happens when someone who has a penis gets aroused, then that means that there's going to be some kind of erection or vascular reaction. So at the end of the day, this is something that this is actually one of the biggest reasons why we use barriers. So again, that barrier is the, the thicker bit of foam padding. This means that if someone has a vascular reaction, that, that the person who they're doing the scene with is not going to feel the outline of that in any way, shape, or form. Now, again, depending on the person's anatomy, right, we're, we might need to make sure that they take a break or pause. And so what I like to do is, no matter what, really reinforce with everybody that you have a right to ask for a quick break for any reason. And I'm never going to ask you what that reason is. So whether you have to go to the bathroom, whether you're having a vascular reaction, whether you're having an emotional reaction, you can just say, hey, I need a quick break. 
separate yourself and take care of whatever you need to take care of so that you're coming back to do your best work. So my hope is that no one ever knows if someone does or doesn't have an erection on set because we put those guidelines in place. Mm. And that if we do, that's something we can resolve really quickly because, again, we know what those guidelines are. This is such a helpful conversation. I love how open you are. This is absolutely incredible. What are common things that come up on set that we might not have covered yet? Is there communication? Is there like when you speak with directors, when you speak with actors necessarily in the script process? Is there anything that we haven't really hit on yet? No, I think one of the maybe one thing that I would offer is I wish actors were more communicative with me about what they need. Like they can be real bossy with me, to be honest. I mean, I hope that they do it so kindly. Yeah, yeah. But the more transparent they are about what they need, what they want, what they're hoping to get out of that day on set, the better I can do my job. There are some times where I think maybe it's out of politeness or maybe it's out of shyness or I hear a lot of like, I have no boundaries, which is maybe true. Most people have some boundaries. Maybe it's, you know, that you don't think they're relevant to this scene work or something like that, or you're feeling really confident, which is great. But that kind of communication to me can be so, so, so helpful. So I would just say like, when in doubt, tell your intimacy coordinator, because that can help them do their job better. And then in terms of this being a job, we got quite a few questions because a beautiful thing about actors is we just really love being on set. And the job of being an intimacy coordinator, I think really resonates with actors because there's an emotional level to it. There's a choreography to it. There's a storytelling to it. And there's a communication piece that I think we all really love. So let's talk about it becoming a job and whether or not that fits well with the actor lifestyle. Honestly, I've seen there are so many people in my community that are actors, playwrights, dramaturgs, intimacy professionals, all of the multi-hyphenates. A lot of people also work in stunts or fight direction. Hmm. So there's lots of different ways to come to this work. At the end of the day, if someone's interested in becoming an intimacy professional, what I would recommend is that they get intimacy-specific training, whether that's through my organization or a different organization. Work with an organization that aligns with your values, that has a pathway that is clear, that you feel confident is going to give you the professional level expertise that you're paying for, and then pursue things that are similar to intimacy work that are just as necessary. So at least in our program, We not only have the intimacy-specific requirements, but we also have requirements about some additional self-study in areas like mental health first aid, anti-racism, gender and inclusivity, sexualities, etc. So those areas are areas that we expect all the people that come out of our program to also have training in. So those are also great places to start if you're maybe not ready to jump immediately onto the path to become an intimacy professional. Maybe take a movement class or a dance class where you're learning about choreography and how to use movement qualifier language to describe the body. Or maybe you take an anti-racism class or a class in gender and sexuality. And then, you know, our program has something called our Consent Board Artist Certificate, which is a two classes program. Both of the classes are online and they're really designed, again, for actors, directors, producers, as well as intimacy professionals who are starting their pathway to get a foundational baseline in the what this what it takes to have this job. So that would definitely be the program I would recommend starting in first. And then if this is something you're super passionate about, apply for what we call our level three program. And that's where you're going to get a lot more of the hands-on training for what it takes to do this work on set. What is the time commitment like for both of those programs? Yeah, the first, the Complete Board Artist program is two different classes. So there's level one and level two both of which meet once a week. The first one's over four weeks. The second one's over six weeks. So, you know, a 10-week commitment, anywhere from three hours to two and a half hours a week. And then once you get into level three, which is on our certification track, that's where the time commitment is a lot more. It's 10 weeks online, three in-person weekends, most likely in New York, but sometimes in LA, and then an ongoing mentorship program. So that one is more like a six-month commitment in, in its entirety. Cool. I mean, listen, guys, if you're interested in this, there's no better time than now as we record this during the middle of the writer strike and Zag is negotiating. This is great. Is there anything else you'd like people who work on sets to know about your job or your purpose? Any new job is going to have road bumps. Anytime someone is new and added to set, there's going to be challenges. 
What I would ask is for patience, collaboration, and a recognition that we're all just doing our best too and trying to figure out how to make intimacy coordination into the sustainable, beautiful thing that I really think everybody in this industry wants it to become. And so the more support we have from the rest of the team, the more creativity, the more openness, maybe a little bit more time in in these early years, I think what we will see is a return on that investment tenfold in the artistry that we're going to get from actors who are safe. From your lips to their ears. I love that. (laughs) My last question for you is, Jess, how do I get better at TikTok? I have no idea. Honestly, I work to be uh, as as well received as I have been. You are like TikTok famous. Oh, man. It's been a wild ride. I missed performing. I missed comedy. I missed making jokes. And and I I was trying to combine the things I loved. And I'm really, really excited that it's resonated with so many people. Yeah. How often do you film stuff? Just out of curiosity. Probably once a day. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't wear you out. You look like it's chill. I, I really like doing it. Uh, you okay. know, there's a, definitely waves. I'm terrible at batching content, which is one of my biggest faults. You know, there are some people that like spend a day recording and then they just slow release all their stuff. That's I'm why so I'm bad at level. TikTok. It's because it's so on the pulse. I just get impatient because I just want to see if people like it. So I just send it out and then I'm like, shoot, now I have to film something for tomorrow because, you know, like the algorithm supposedly, who knows? I don't know. I always say the algorithm giveth, the algorithm taketh away. You just uh-huh. never know. But I just I'm always like I've heard that the consistency of posting is is something that it likes. Who knows? But yeah, so I'm ter- I always set myself up uh, for failure because I too too anxious to post the stuff that I make. Wait, but you are truly an actor at heart because you're like, OK, validation ready. Go. What do you guys think? OK, Absolutely. great. <laughs> do you feel like social media has helped you in terms no. of like your job? No. Okay, great. This no. is so funny. People pleasing and validation. <laughs> Wait, no, never. Same, though. <laughs> I I do actually. I will say I well one of the, the surprising things that has happened since starting my TikTok channel has been one, it's helped me practice saying things that I want to be better at saying. So love that. Two, I've had to think through more scenarios because as I'm trying to come up with questions or hear questions or think through what ifs, those are preparing me for future situations. And three, it has increased the awareness of this role and knowledge of this role, which in turn means that when I walk onto set, sometimes people have more information than they used to. And that makes my job infinitely easier when someone understands what I'm there to do and what I need in order to do it. Okay, TikTok, that's your advertisement. Take it to Montana. (laughs) See if they'll regulate you again. Take it. Good to go. Jess, you're phenomenal. All your links are in the show notes and all of the stuff you talked about today. Anything else you want to pimp out? Anything you have going on? Any? Are we getting back into improv? Any shows? Anything like that? No, those days are long, long gone. As grateful as I am for them. I don't think so. I think really I'm just excited about the work that my company and my team is doing. And I'm excited to continue changing the world one film set at a time. Oh, we are thrilled to share it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. 